Today's Hot 4 podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Niche Solutions Brewery Essentials. If you're after great clarity in any brew, try Browsol Pea Special. Avoiding the fish-based products found in traditional finings, Browsol Pea is a silica solution with a particularly high charge intensity in the pH range of wort and beer. And it has the added bonus that it's vegetarian and vegan friendly, meaning everyone can enjoy and savour your beers. Check out a whole range of bespoke products at nichesolutionsgb.co.uk. That's nichesolutionsgb.co.uk. And you'll find competitive prices with a quick turnaround, all given with personal attention and technical support as and when you need it. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, Brewsters, Hopsters, Maltsters, and Yeasters. What do you call someone who cultivates yeast? That sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? <laughs> Welcome to another Hot Forward podcast. I don't know if you saw, but a couple of weeks ago, the Cask Report was published by Caskmark, which um, I would imagine you're all familiar with. Uh, but for our international listeners, we even have listeners in Hong Kong, by the way. Hello. Casmark is an independent award and accreditation given to public houses across UK, Europe and even America, uh, where the consumer is guaranteed to receive a great pint of cask ale. Now, take a step back and think about that for a moment. There's an organisation, right, that offers accreditation, training and services to licensed premises on how to sell a condition and dispense the time on a tradition of cask ale. I mean, come on. Like, maybe I just love the, the wonder of it all. But as a northerner that grew up in Sheffield and spent copious amounts of time down Barnsley, where I discovered cask conditioned real ale, Barnsley Bitter, um, I think that anyone fighting the corner of cask beer is just magical. And yet, I bloody hate cask beer as well. Because for every golden pint you're served with a luscious, thick, creamy head, a tingling on the tongue and a softness on the palate, meaning you can quaff a good pint as slowly or as quickly as the mood takes you. There's equally another one that looks like it's being pulled from the River Don, tastes like vinegar that you had in Chip Butty earlier, and is as headless as Mary Antoinette. Like, it's no wonder, really, that cast beer gets a bad rap when there are so many factors not working in its favour, let alone people who don't sell it correctly, or even brewers, I'm sad to say, that don't brew or package it right either. Um, so when you do come across a cracking pint of Cascale, it really is worth celebrating. Which brings me back to the Cast report, right? That we'd have a report, comprehensive research, undertaken by people like Pete Brown and Emma Inch, amongst others, and beautifully photographed by Matthew Curtis. Like, it seriously makes me want to both drink and produce Cast beer all over again. 
And yet, the question has risen recently, can cask ale be premiumised? If you haven't heard the episode with Shane Swindells from Cheshire Brew House, I suggest you go and listen to that first. And there was one Matthew Curtis did where he raised a good point. Uh, this is on a former show uh, about cask beer historically being a drink for the working classes. Like, th- there's so much debate and complexity and diversity surrounding what essentially is a fermented beverage. Um, but, but to people, cask beer and the pub... Is so much more than that. Like endless books have been written on the subject, campaigns and organisations have been set up to save this institution, and despite declining sales, it still captures the affections as the nation's favourite drink. Well, nearly, maybe an extra cup of tea, um, but mostly it's it's the quality or lack thereof of cast beer that comes under scrutiny so often. And I caught up with a man who has seen his fair share of bad beers and sellers on his travels over the years. Nigel Sadler is a Beer Academy beer sommelier. He's IBD qualified and he is a Casmark and Seba FSQ auditor. And in this episode, we talk about everything Cas beer related. And Nigel shares his somewhat sobering projections of our possible alcoholless future as a nation. Um, so loads to dig your teeth into with this episode on cast beer if you like the podcast you can support us in the following ways uh, you can follow us on social media at hot four beers uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice review um, if you liked it that was was hopefully by now uh, nearly a year in you do uh, visit hotfour.beer for more articles and podcasts like this one or you could uh, use one of our services to help you get ahead in your beer business, whether that's branding and marketing, uh, brewery consultancy or, or business development. We want to help you develop your business and grow it. Or you can visit hotforward.beer forward slash support and, and literally buy me a beer. Uh, and you'll gain access to my fermenting thoughts on how to cultivate your beer business and hot rocket your way to growth and success. Um, so check all those things out you want to support the podcast and hop forward and now on to today's episode with nigel sadler from learn to brew talking all about the quality of cask beer today on the hop forward podcast my guest is beer and brewing educator judge and sommelier nigel sadler how's, how's it going yeah not so bad thanks very much nick yourself yeah not bad is it absolutely yeah. bucketing it down there like it is here. Yeah, absolutely tipping it down. Oh, the, the joys of the English weather. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nigel, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, your career in brewing and the beer industry and what you do now? Yeah, well, actually, um, beer and brewing is a second career for me. I, I spent 30 years in the um, City of London trading commodities and in the money markets. Oh, wow. And then okay. come the crunch in 2008, it was um, bye-bye, there you go, Um what do I do next? I actually started uh, my first studies in brewing well, back in about 1983-84, um, just after Brew Lab was set up. And then it was actually a subsidiary of the Polytechnic of London at that point when Keith Thomas set it up. And I'd done a couple of courses on beer and brewing um, with um, Keith. And um, I thought, well, what do I do? I, I, I come out. Do I go and buy a pub? I, I was in a very specialist area 
um, in the, the fields I was trading. Um, and shortly after, my main competitor also went bust six months later, so I couldn't get a job. And it was, it was one of these things, what do you do? It's, it's um, a change in your life, three children um, to bring up and get through uni, etc. So didn't want to buy a pub, um, didn't want to be a driving instructor, which was the other big thing about 10, 12 years yep. ago, and uh, decided to retrain uh, and go into brewing. And I, I started uh, with Brentwood Brewing Company. I started um, washing casks, as you do, um, probably the most important job in a, a cask-scale brewery, and that's oft overlooked by many people. And, and then worked my way up from there, training with Brew Lab qualifications with the IBD, then the Beer Academy um, to get all-round knowledge. And, yeah, basically have gone for there. A brilliant 10 years as a second career. Wow, great. Um, we're going to talk today about the expansive topic of the quality of cask beer. So you, you just mentioned cleaning casks. Like, I mean, yeah. let, let's start right there. Yeah, get it, getting it wrong, it, it's hard. And I know a lot of my fellow brewers will have done this probably at least once in their career, is to put a few thousand litres of beer down a drain because of an infection, whether it's occurred in the, the fermenting vessel. But uh, cleaning the casks, you know, you make a fantastic award-winning beer and then you've got, for the sake of a, a term, somebody who's not, you know, that academically qualified dynamic cleaning the casks and if they don't do the job properly what's the point of putting that award-winning fantastic beer into a dirty cask that's going to get to the pub and then have problems with the customer when it comes to be sold mm. so what should a brewer do then like what what process should they put in place you need a, a good training program. All, all breweries should have training programs um, in place. And right from the word go, get everybody to be able to do every job to a high standard throughout. And cask washing, it sounds like a mundane job, and that's why people don't pay attention to it. But at the end of the day, that's the container your beer is going out into trade. Mm. So just just moving back a little bit to, to the wider yeah. picture, how, how have you seen Caspia change and develop over the years? Okay, well, I, I the last brewery I was at in Essex, a microbrewery called Wibblers, I left back in 2015 and decided um, to go full-time beer and brewing educator at that point and get out on the road for Caskmark. Um, back in 2015, to me, Caskale had peaked. Uh, we had seen a sort of rapid increase in enthusiasm, and I, you know, it became trendy from from 2011 probably to 2015. That was the peak, and I started to notice a change in attitude. We had these new wonderful keg beers uh, arriving on the scene, shift in demographic, and um, slowly car scale lost the shine it became too ubiquitous too many breweries perhaps producing the same products um i mean i know what it was like when i was on telesales i would be phoning a, a pub on a monday and if i was call number 17 uh that was it you forget you know you'd lost out so it it, it had peaked and it's been in a decline since then and it's almost gone down in a, a spiral people tend to use car scale as a very discounted drink we don't see too many fantastic fantastic offers on wine gin is now following the, the same pattern mm. and i think it, it lost its shine then subsequently 
people that diverted their attention away from it. Maybe there was a lack of staff training. And since then, to me, the quality and, and sales have certainly gone down since 2015, yeah. Yeah, so because obviously you get on the road a lot through Casamarkey and, yeah. and, and see how it's stored and taste these beers and stuff. I mean, what, why do you think there is so much cast beer out there that's either subpar or, or at worst just bad? Um, a lot of it is still leaving some of the smaller breweries not in the best condition. Um, I hate to say I judged a competition uh, two years ago. And I think 50% of the beers that I personally judge should never have left the brewery. Well, they 50%. were green, mature. Yeah, they, they weren't good, balanced, drinkable beers. Um, and secondly, it's then the cellarmanship. The cellarmanship, looking after the beer in the cellar, bringing it to the right condition, ensuring it's matured, um, and then getting somebody who will look after it when you come to sell it. That that clean glass, the way it's poured and presented, etc. Mm. So what what can brewers do to help in that process? And then what can landlords do? So from a brewery perspective, um, you know, what what should they be doing in the brewery to ensure that, apart from making sure their casts are clean, as we said earlier, to make sure that beer is leaving in optimum condition? And then from the landlord perspective, what what should they be doing to make sure that when they're pulling pints for customers, that it's it's spot on every time, particularly with a slow-moving beer, because obviously, you know, sometimes a, a beer can leave a brewery, let's say it's a 4% blonde, and just by virtue of it being sessionable, a landlord can go through a firkin relatively quickly. But for something that's a little bit more odd, that might be a really good beer, but um, isn't a quick seller. Obviously, that you know, when it's open, it's a ticking time bomb. So from either yeah. end, what can both parties do to ensure okay, that? Okay, I mean... Let's start at the brewery. I think all brewers should have training in beer quality. Training in brewing, how to produce it, is one thing, but actually understanding beer quality and particularly taints and, and off notes is another area. Mm. I've often been presented a pint by a brewer at a beer festival. What do you think of my beer? Well, I'm sorry, I'm going to be brutal. It's not that good. It's this wrong with it, that wrong with it. Oh, but everybody's drinking it. Well, maybe they don't know what's right or what's wrong. So beer quality training within the brewery is essential. Don't send it out if it's not good. Uh, and, and in this current market where I know a lot of small breweries are hanging on and fighting very, very hard, it's very hard not to let a beer go out. Don't let it go out till it's ready or it's right. Don't let you know sales and, and financial pressure push you into doing something you may regret that will damage your brand and reputation. On the other side, you know, the licensees, publicans, whatever, um, it's training again, but it's training of beer quality. Is the beer good or bad? I mean, the number of times I, I get given a bad beer on cast mark, the current excuse is brewer says it's meant to be like that. And that's, that's becoming a, a copped out phrase for anything from cloudy to vinegar to DMS, etc. Brewer says it's meant to be like that. Um, and also don't have too many beers on. This has been a big thing over the hot summer. We, we notice in Carsmart that Carsgale sales do generally decrease in the summer. It, it, people tend to go cold and fizzy, whether it's lagers or ciders. So let's have six beers on, let's have eight ales on, etc. You know, you've got to cut back on that. If you're not doing the sales, it's pointless leaving it on, deteriorating in quality. Have two beers that sell, and then, as you mentioned, doing something exciting, maybe on a Friday and Saturday night, but 
try and get a couple of pins in. I know it's not always easy, but get a smaller container of something different that will sell within that, you know, magic three-day period that's often quoted. We hope all car scale is sold in two, but three is your, your sort of get-out clause. Yeah. When I worked at the Sheffield Brewery Company, um, well, I took on from another brewer, and when when they started in 2006, I think they had something like 25 pins, and by the time I got yep. there, they only had four. And I, part, I think partly they just lost some in transit, but um, so many people steal pins, particularly like home brewers. You know, the, all home brewers. Yeah, we ordered 30, and within two months, we were down to about eight. It's crazy, isn't it? I can't believe that yep. someone would think, "Oh, I'll have that." <laughs> um, yes. But when, when you look at the, that is the disadvantage of car scale versus the keg market. I've got to get a 41 litre Firkin in, whereas I can still go and get a 20 litre or 30 litre keg and key keg or something. You've got that flexibility. You've got added shelf life of a smaller quantity in a keg. And I think a lot of the people that are working now in the cellars and behind the bars don't realise that difference. Yeah. So what was your take on Brewdog recently saying that they were, they were going back into the cask and basically they put cask condition but in a keg? I mean, I don't know if you saw that, um, but I mean, what, yeah, what's your take on that kind of not, thing? They're not the only ones to do it. I mean, it depends on your definition of cask ale, real ale, okay? So the purists will say uh, it can never, you know, be anything other than a cask dispensed by gravity. If it's a living beer that contains yeast and is dispensed out of a key keg, then personally I don't have a problem. I think it's going to be the way forward um, in the short term, possibly even the long term, um, for this method of dispense. The smaller containers, the flexibility of, you know, 20 litres here and there, the changing of the system, the sellermanship is almost diminished. Um, as long as you keep the lines clean, which is another issue completely, um, plug-and-play systems like Keycag may well save real ale, depending on your definition of real ale. Right. So... For the end user, um, you know, people like me and you and the, the average uh, person on the street, what well, what makes a good pint of cask beer? Like what for you for you personally, when you when you say obviously someone hands you a pint and you're like, ah, that's wrong with it. And there's that technical flaw and so on. Like, what are you looking for? I'm, personally, I'm looking for a balanced, drinkable pint I'm, um, at the right temperature in a clean glass, you know, in a, in a crux. I'm not necessarily looking for something brewed to style, but it, if somebody describes a beer as a stout, I expect it to have clean stout characteristics. Um, one of the problems with a lot of the beer coming out of the smaller breweries, and this is the financial pressure I referred to earlier, it's brewed on a Monday, it's racked on the following Monday, it's delivered to a pub on a Tuesday, it's put on sale on the Wednesday. It hasn't had time to become harmonious, it hasn't balanced, and as a result, you know, that the pub staff don't know whether it's right or wrong because they've not been trained. All they do is put it on and start serving. So it, it, it's this chain of events to ensure that beer is right and that comes down to seller skills do you think in today's day and age how you know everything's so instantaneous obviously you've got things like netflix and spotify and you know amazon can you can order something this morning and have it this afternoon do, do you think that as culture speeds up like that there's an expectation for for beer to do the same even though you know it's it's meant to mature it's meant to those flavors are meant to knit together 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much of the I want it now um, attitude to society, I think. You know, it's, um, you know, the death of the pub or the demise of the pub is due to, you know, other competitive outlets that may be more attractive. But, yeah, and, and also from a staffing point of view, if I do a lot of London pubs uh, as an ex-broker trader. Um, Thursday nights and Friday nights were manic. Um, but after that, you know, if, if you go through uh, and finish a cask halfway through a Thursday evening, you're not going to want to faff about to go and line up another cask. You literally want to go down, take off a connector, reconnect it and get the beer flowing again. Uh, that, that's your busy time and customers don't necessarily want you to wait uh, uh, to do anything different. So obviously you've seen a lot of pub sellers. I mean, what, what are some of the worst things you've ever seen? Like <laughs> <laughs> those that follow me on Facebook will know uh, some of the horror photos that um, I post of connectors, couplers, and sellers. Um, some of them are pretty horrendous. And even if, you know, when I was in the breweries, I would have to go out on the dray for an emergency. Um, you can usually tell that the, the state of the kitchen. Um, in a pub will reflect the state of the cellar. It's an interesting one. Hmm. If, if people don't keep their cellar clean, the kitchen won't necessarily be clean uh, and vice versa. There are some pretty horrendous things. Trays of raw chicken sitting on, on casks and next to connectors. Um, thick mould and scum on the lines. Um, there are some pretty horrendous pictures out there. Um, and, you know, it, it's not just a rare occurrence. This is something that... Um, I have noticed, and other cast mark assessors have probably noticed, that um, we're starting to encounter more seller problems more frequently now. Right. Why do you think that is? I think it's this lack of training and lack of emphasis. That There is very little money in car scale, whether you're a, a brewer or a retailer. It's not a high-margin product. Mm. And I think the amount of time to be spent and, and the cost of training probably doesn't outweigh uh, the returns for many people. So, I mean, you've alluded to the pricing there, and I know you mentioned it earlier, like because competition's so fierce and so many brewers are looking to get their beers to market, and obviously yeah. the easiest route and the most obvious route for that is cask because it's it's quite easy yeah. to fill a cask and it's ship just, it yeah, out. It's the simplest one to start with, yeah. Like how can a brewery look to invest in the quality of their cask beer without losing out when it comes to selling it? Because, I mean, like you hear, I mean, you hear in some areas around the country where, a landlord will suck their teeth if they have to pay more than £60 a firkin. But it's, like you say, people don't yeah. see it as a premium yeah. product. So if I'm dry hopping something and, yeah. I, you know, extensively, and I've yeah. got to make my margins, put my mark upon, uh, which I did once with a 3.8% like session West Coast IPA, yeah. you know, it was an expensive beer to make and I had to sell it for quite a premium price. And I managed to, but some people are like, well, it's only 3.8%. They still look at the ABV. Like, what, what can a yeah. brewer do the, the to The ABV is, as an ex-trader, the ABV is your benchmark for pricing. Unfortunately, this is where it's become a commodity. And when we were supplying um, Pubco's and Seba Beer Flex, the price list comes through, we will buy this ABV at this price. I don't care if it's got Sriracha Ace in at 125 quid a kilo and you put 10 kilos in that we don't care it's a 4.8 percent beer or in your case a 3.8 percent beer we will only pay x for it uh, and that's the reality of the market we've, we've still got 2,000 breweries um, and i saw that the, the note that hammer pot brewery put up um, the other day 
too many people doing the same thing for too little money. They're calling it a day after 14 years. Is it time for a major market correction? Pubs are still closing. 500 less breweries producing top quality real ale. Is that enough to shift the market? I don't know. So what can a brewer listening to this do to stand out when it comes to cast beer? Um you know, other than like, oh, I'm going, to, I'm going to throw peanuts in a stout or, you know, other crazy ingredients. Yeah, like for somebody that wants to make it just a, a really banging, sessionable cast beer that you'll go back to the bar for for a third or fourth pint. Like what? Because that seems so rare today. Like what, what could a yeah, brewer that do? You've hit the nail on the head. I was just going to say there are too many people, too new in the industry that want to do the weird and wonderful, the high styles that can't even do the basics. You know, when you start a cookery course, what do they teach you to do? Make a sponge, yeah? <laughs> Not the fancy five-tiered wedding cake with all the icing. And there are too many people that come into this brewing industry that want to do the highfalutin stuff without doing the basics. If you want to be a good brewer, you produce the same product consistently. And time and time again, you offer your outlets service. This is where your own training comes in. Any brewer that hasn't done cellar training cannot offer, in my opinion, the full service that their beer requires at point of sale. So the more you are to offer a service and consistency, and, you know, we looked at one end, the, the, the guy who cleans the cask or the girl who cleans the cask. But the final point, which a lot of people overlook, who is the last person that has contact with your beer as a brewery? The person on the dray. If they're not smart, clean, tidy, presentable and helpful, at that end, when your beer actually arrives up at the customer, that can also do you damage. So it's all about quality and consistency of service and product, for me, all the way through. It's funny you should say that, because I wrote an article for a brewery magazine. It was like five qualities of um, a, a business beyond the brewing of beer, um, yeah. which I'll, I'll post on my website sooner or later. Um, right. and, and one of the things was what you just said about the 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 drayman like it's it's all well and good having a you know really great looking pump clip and you know your beer's tasting out of this world but if your drayman turns up with the belly sticking out holes in their jumper looking like a complete and utter scruff in a really beaten up white transit van then yeah. what that just and speaks. he hasn't got the pump clip with him either yeah exactly and the wrong invoice <laughs> yeah. and all the rest of it i mean what does yeah. that what does that say and and so yeah. when, I, when i do work with customers on branding uh, some clients of mine I'll, I'll say you know you, you need to think all those little details speak about your brand as much as like yeah. the quality of the beer um so it's not just all about shoving the hops in it's you've got to have that wider picture of a business and i think some of the guys that come from heart home brewing buy a brewery off the shelf from x y or z for 12 15 grand etc and go commercial don't have this experience and the other thing you've got to remember there's a big influencing market now and we're seeing this more and more uh, with the likes of weatherspoons and is food safety if you don't have HACCP and food safety in place um, as well which are more training courses and more costs that will close doors to you now it's mm. already happening you've got to have the legal compliance side and the knowledge and understanding of that as well because you do CBRA FSQ don't you is that right or you did or... yes I, I audit yeah right okay so when you're going around breweries uh, with, with 
for Seba, um, in the same way that we talked about seeing some of the condition of sellers, what sort of things you've seen in breweries that make you go, really? There are there are lots of things. First of all, not having a HACCP plan in place, which is not just a SIBA requirement, it's a legal requirement to have a food safety plan in place. Um, health and safety training, that's a big one. Um, inappropriate workwear, no personal protective equipment, handling and storing of, of um, ingredients next to, to chemical uh, uses such as acids and caustics, etc. Um, but general cleanliness and, and lack of um, awareness that this is actually a food product we must produce safely. Yeah, we can all have fun. There's, there's nothing wrong with having fun, uh, but let's have safe fun. So um, some of the things I see in breweries are really are worrying. Lack of understanding. Um, you know about Notice 226, HMRC mm. Notice 226. Uh, and I've got you into breweries that don't even have a copy of it, haven't read it. They submit their beer duty because a mate down the road in another brewery has given them a spreadsheet that does that, so they know how to do that. But they don't know anything else about the, the legal uh, and safety aspects of the product. That That is very worrying. Do you think that those breweries will survive in the long run? even by the skin uh, of the they're teeth, the or? ones they're the ones that in my mind are banging it out cheap and cheerful a lot of the time um you know when when you go into to a brewery a commercial brewery whether it's one barrel two barrel ten barrel and they're using a home brew hydrometer saccharometer um first of all that's against the you know the requirements of customs and excise in terms of accuracy but it, it just shows they haven't stepped up um to to meet the challenges of being a big commercial operation what, what like an actual thing you can get from wilco's with the like just the in yeah yeah i've got in and i think the hmrc requirement actually states that it must take gravity to accurate a 0.1 degree of a reading yeah uh, and a homebrew hydrometer because when you're paying duty would nowhere near have the accuracy, in my opinion, and that of others. No, um, to submit a duty return. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, I whenever yep. I'd break a sacrometer, you know, they're, they're like fifty pound a piece. You know, well, it was one week I broke <laughs> two. I was like, ah, yes. this is such a bad I've week. I've only ever broken one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a few mishaps. So, there is a lot to it. it, it this idea that. Uh, as somebody pointed out the other day, there are no requirements. You can just write to HMRC, apply for a brewing license, set up and go. And I think this is one of the, the problems within the industry. Uh, I'm not saying you need necessarily to have formal qualifications, but you certainly need to be aware of the legalities and compliance of running uh, a brewery. Yeah. So moving on to uh, some of the institutions like Seabra and, and Camera, um, I mean, what, yeah. what, what's what's your view on Camera's role um, as an organisation that they're playing today and the, and the voice for cask beer? Because I think there's a lot of emphasis from Camera, uh, particularly Camera members, about the price of cask beer and members who complain that the price is too high. So sh- surely waving your discount card around in, in a Weatherspoons is harming cask-producing breweries, particularly the smaller it ones. Is. It is. Um, um, I mean, what's your take yeah, on all I, that? Well, there, there are two sides to it. One, should beer be expensive? Should beer be cheap? Should we be paying more? The, the, the problem, I don't have a problem with Weatherspoons as, as an ex-brewery who supplied Weatherspoons. I don't have a problem. It's like EasyJet and Ryanair. You, you get what you pay for. <laughs> um, the, myth, the, myth, the myth that Weatherspoons is still buying out of date beer is nonsense. I had to have 30 days 
on my casks when they went to spoons. And having audited 15 spoon sellers in the past month, every one of them came out with five stars. Very few other pubcos or independent free houses can match that. Mm. So the Weatherspoons model of the discount system, which is one of the reasons why I'm no longer a member of camera, I do not agree with any consumer organization taking sponsorship from a retailer. To me, that's the akin of um, our Save the Corner Shops campaign giving you Tesco vouchers. It just doesn't work for me. Um, I spent... Um, 15 years in my local branch last time, organised Chelmsford Summer Beer Festival 2014 for 20,000 people. I was pub liaison officer. And I was getting the same. I visited 105 of the 110 pubs in my region. And a lot of them were saying to me, nice to meet you, Nigel. Thanks very much for coming around. But I only do Green King and camera don't want to know about Green King. and I won't give them a discount. Um, so that to me is where the damage is being done, that people expect beer to be cheap. Um, Weatherspoons can be a magnet for business. They can start to create uh, a centre of gravity in a town where let's go and have a couple of pints in spoons, but let's go and try that craft beer bar and let's go on from there. So it's a, it's a double edged sword. So with camera, um, I'd like to see them, yes, fight for pubs fight for car scale but, but don't be too faced about it you, you can't have a discount and save pubs it just mm. doesn't seem to work for me um seba i'm ex-vice chairman and regional director of seba um seba's task is to try and get their 750 breweries um all to compete against each other but at a higher level it is very much a buyer's market if if i were a landlord you wouldn't like to sell to me because after 30 years in the market, if I don't buy from you, I've got 30 phone calls waiting to come through on a Monday. I will buy the best beer I can at the cheapest price because that's my profit margin in the pub. Yep. Now, if you produce a very good beer that I know, and I wouldn't sell beers by gravity. That's the other thing. I sell beers by quality. What it costs me to pay is what the consumer would pay plus you know, my margin. So SEBA has this issue. Yes, it is doing very well. It is stepping up the brewers. We've got a, a new chairman or chief executive, rather, in James Calder, who seems more in touch with the membership. And personally, I would like to see SEBA go along the lines of the Brewers Association in America, excellent training programs combined with campaigning. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's my view on those those two. So what do you think C-Brand Camera then can do to help raise the pay level of cast beer to be to be seen as more of a premium product? Because I know when I've sold through Beerflex, for example, um, you, you know, and done the maths, I'm like, well, a lot of the beers don't stack up. So what, no. what you end up getting then is, well, I've got to produce a beer that's cheap just to go in those pubs. You know, and there are some excellent there are some excellent Green King pubs out there. There's one in Sheffield where, you yeah. know, I know the guys behind the bar. They've they've worked, Some of them have worked for Thornbridge. Some have worked in London. You know, you'll yeah. get an absolutely bob on pint there. Um, but they won't pay, you know, the money for it. Well, it's not that they won't personally pay the money for it. It's that through Beerflex, you know, it, it everyone's taking their this, cut. This, so. Yeah, it's, it, it comes back to this thing is, who makes the margin? And and this is one of the downsides. You know, I know it was all very well-meaning and I campaigned for it back when it first started, the penny off a pint duty. But the penny off the pint goes to the brewery. 
it, it will never end up in the licensee's pocket. It will never end up in the consumer pocket per se. So, you know, duty cuts don't help. And I think Cameron Sieber actually, by trying to encourage duty cuts, give the impression that beer should still be coming down in price. Mm. You know, you, you compare it to what happens in the budget. Petrol, a penny off a litre. You drive down the road at midnight on budget day and they've all clocked down a penny. Yep. Give it two weeks and it's probably shuffled back up. But you see that change and people don't see that change at, when, at the pumps, if you like, in the in the bar. They see it at the pumps in the petrol station, but, but not in the pub. To, to get the consumers to appreciate um, is going to be a difficult one. Too many too many suppliers, too many sellers. That's what makes it a buyer's market. But what we can do is improve the quality of the product and hopefully that will attract more drinkers to try it again. So how can both brewers and bars invest in their QA and their QA programmes? Because as, as you, alluded, you alluded to this earlier, and I, I've experienced this myself, like you, you can get so caught up in doing it, doing it, doing it, that you never get it done. Like you, you, yeah. ne- you never focus on those kind of um, higher level tasks where it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not urgent, but it's really important that you, you come up with yeah. a good QA program because you th- oh crap, I've got to transfer that beer. That landlord wants their delivery today. Um, malt's coming. Oh, the pallet broke. You know, and all the rest of the crazy crap that you go through on the average day in a brewery yeah. or in a bar, yeah, like yeah. you say on a Monday. Twenty yeah. phone calls in. Oh, how's it going, mate? Oh, you think just just cut to the chase like it, it is, well, it's, it's a common problem isn't there not enough staff why are there not enough staff because there's no money to pay for the staff so yeah run around like a headless chicken in a brewery run around like a headless chicken in a bar a lot of the time there are insufficient staff that's because there's insufficient revenue in the product uh, and i think the other sector we see this is um mor middle of the road dining Uh, Here in Chelmsford over the past, what, two years, I think we had something like 21 restaurants open and one new megaplex uh, cinema. Um, You know, the competition for the consumer pound uh, versus a traditional pub is very, very high. It's where do I go? You know, if if you go out and you're on a limited budget and you go to Weatherspoons, it's possible to have two meals, two drinks for, I think, £15. Mm. Yep. So if you're on a limited budget and you want to go out uh, with your partner or even take the kids uh, during the day, that's somewhere you can go. At the other end, we've had, you know, we've seen the collapse of Jamie's. We've seen uh, a couple of Carluccio restaurants. There is just too much competition and it all relies on cheap ingredients, cheap products and low wages to continue. Uh, It could just be a a problem of the sector that, you know, uh, until hospitality pay rises and we get, you know, good wages and people are prepared to pay for a pint of quality real ale that they know is no longer going to be that lottery, um, I don't think you'll change it. And and that's where we've got to start. It's got to be quality, consistency and reliability. So do do you think supermarkets are not helping because if you go to certain supermarkets and I'm not going to name names, but there's an, another one that no, um, no. announced this week about um, certain collabs they've done with some, some big UK craft breweries, um, you know, they're, they're obviously smashing out some, you know, double IPAs and that kind of thing at three pound a can at 7%. Yep, yep. Like, you know, that where, where does that leave many cast producing breweries, you know, when they're asking yep. for, 
eighty pound a firkin, what a landlord's got to sell at, you know, three pound, four pound a pint. Four pounds a pint, yeah. Uh, the, the the problem with that is we we come to accept that what's in the supermarket should relate to what we pay. So let's take another classic example. Uh, the M&S two-for-one offer. Mm. You can have three-course meal for two people for 20 quid, including a bottle of wine. Do you compare that when you go out to a restaurant and the same deal costs you 50 quid? No, we don't because we accept we're in a restaurant and we're paying for that. People don't do that in the pub. Yes, supermarkets have a place. Um, there is the VAT argument about the supermarkets as well. I no longer believe they're using beer as a loss leader. It just probably breaks even plus some. But if you look at when the beer duty was cut, the sales that benefited were the supermarkets. You, you see the off-trade start to rise back in 2013, 2014. There are still people on a limited budget. I go buy supermarket beer. Mm. Um I can't always get out. If I want a bottle of broadside or something, I can't get broadside locally to me anymore on draft. So I go buy bottles of it. Um, it it's, it's a difficult one. Supermarkets have a place for everything. And that's why my own personal idea is that, you know, as with many others, we should have had a VAT cut in the hospitality industry. We should have halved the price of VAT. And I know Tim Martin, regardless of his politics, uh, is campaigning for that VAT cut, that parity to say, actually, look, the customer sees this immediately. Yeah, mm -hmm. a penny off a pint duty, you're never going to see, as we've already mentioned. But if you have a point of sale VAT cut and you see a significant reduction in the price, I think that would do more. But do you not think then that the licensee might just like just keep that 20%, have the same price, or maybe even knock 5% off and keep pocket 15%? Oh, well, then that will be down to the licensee, like everything, and those will find out who's doing it and who's not. You can't have it both ways, yeah, can you? No. If you want trade, um, you have trade. If you don't want trade and carry on pleading poverty because you won't uh, pass on the VAT reduction, um, that's your loss of trade. So what, taking into consideration all these cast-producing breweries and, and everyone fighting for scraps like crabs in a bucket – at the seaside, yeah. like um, <laughs> um, somebody else said, if, if it's not brewed in a dustbin under a railway arch, it ain't craft. Well, th th this well th that leads me into my question: <laughs> like, what differentiates your big quote unquote craft breweries that are seemingly doing well? You know, they they charge a premium for their products. Um, obviously, you know, you, you go to independent bottle shops everywhere and you see the same few cans from the same few breweries um yeah. like what, what's differentiating them from the rest of i, I, I think you i think you've got different drinkers haven't you Let, let's let's be honest you you have got a bit of a polarized market at the moment a younger generation um who either don't drink or actually prepare to to pay more drink better but drink less you know if i get off the train in the evening i've got my emergency tenor uh, in my back pocket, do I wander down to the spoons and have three pints, or do I pop into Hopster's bottle shop and have two bottles? Um, 
you know, it, it, it is this difference in market. We, we have premium wines. You know, I hate to say it, and she's not within ear distance. Uh, most of the wine buying in my household, although I've, I've done wine training and have a, a, a seller, so to speak, uh, most of the wine buying is done by my wife, who, bless her, comes back and says, look what I got for £5 today. It's a perfectly drinkable wine, but when I want something special, I raid mine, and out comes the £80 a bottle. It, it You know, it, it's different horses for courses. The problem is that those that are happy to, to drink less, drink better, don't outweigh the number of those that still want to go in and get a pint for 2 49 in the local spoons. Yeah, do you think it's because those drinkers, they, I mean, it is a niche market, but do you think it's because they're a very vocal niche market that it can feel for, I think a lot of newer, younger brewers, myself included, coming into the market thinking, um, oh, I've got to do that because, you know, everyone's raving about that on Twitter or on Instagram, whatever, when actually 95% of the beer drinking population are just kind of like, ah, I just want a nice beer down the pub. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to bear in mind that the craft and the, the definition of craft, I, I leave everybody to have their own version. But 90% of, of the beer drinkers in this country are those that consume Doombar, IPA, uh, Carling, etc. Mm. That 10% is, is the niche market. And within that 10%, yes, you, you've got breweries with image. And this has been shown lately in another paper that brand image is actually selling beer. Um, the design of the can, the design of the, the bottle, etc., the logos, Um are actually selling the beer more than the product in. And I was with a group of German brewers um, judging in Munich a couple of years back, and they said, the problem with cask beer, and I, uh, craft beer, Nigel, is it is just beer. Is it good or is it bad? But it is just beer. Um, so we went into a discussion about ageing programmes, storage costs, dry hopping costs, etc. And yes, they agreed there should be a premium for that product. But it, it's become almost um, hype for hype's sake in many cases. And yes, like you, I, I was getting phone calls. What's your special this week? Well, I haven't sold the special I've done last week. <laughs> uh, and it's become this, this very rotational market um that's driving it and it's um small batch niche brews in some cases yes they, they will continue to find an outlet do you think we'll see a return to like you know people going back to the same beers again and again or do you, do you see the the niche um specials kind of just that escalating more and more no i i, I think as we age I think we tend to look more for stability, consistency. We don't tend to necessarily adapt change. And that, that can be anything from a new road layout to a new beer. I think we tend to look at things for things that we're comfortable with. We tend to do less experimenting. So what worries me is, is this demographic that don't drink. But I think in five years' time, those that are drinking all these beers, is there anybody following on behind them? Or will they then become the the old people like me in five years' time who are happy drinking the same beer in the same pub? I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting one. Yeah. So where do you see all this going? I mean, because obviously it's it's a, it's a massive topic to think about what's going to happen over the next five years. Obviously, you've got Brexit looming, which who knows what's going to happen with that um <laughs> i don't want to go down that route yeah um, probably it, best not to um but it, you know it's very very difficult um the public health lobby um are probably the number one 
enemy, if you like, Public Health England and people like that. If you'd said somebody five years ago, there's going to be a sugar tax on Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah, we all laughed. We now have it. Um, you know, it, get rid of smoking by 2030 is the aim, I think, of Public Health England. And probably clandestinely, no alcohol by 2050. Um, the anti-alcohol lobby and public health lobby are against drinking full stop. And we're seeing that with this young demographic, 19 to 30 year olds. I think pubs are going to continue to close. I'm sorry to say it. I think the competition on the high street, as we've discussed, for the consumer bound. Um, I think we'll see further pub closures. And that may be the start of the, the bursting of the bubble. And some say it's already started. Breweries closing at the rate of three a week now, although plenty are reopening. But they'll go through a honeymoon period and then in five years' time be looking to close. Whether we get into that rotational startup, shutdown, startup, shutdown, I don't know. But, I, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but I think the long-term picture is of, of less beer consumption uh, and less beer retailing. Oh, that makes me sad. <laughs> it makes me sad too, you know. I, I, I've been a pub goer since the age of 14. Um, but, um, you know, it, it is a difficult, but I think it's reality. I just cannot see, um, you know, that we've got pubs still closing and, yes, a few are reopening. Uh, a lot of people thought the micro pubs uh, would be a boom, Um but they haven't. I don't think there's more now. And I'm talking off the top of my head and I've not been to the Micro Pub Association website for about six months. I don't think there are any more than what you would call a thousand micro pubs and bars mm. uh, have come on in the past 10 years. Um, so I don't think that's going to be the savior that a lot of people thought it was. Some of these big old Victorian pubs are, are huge, vast expenses. Um, I'm going into pubs now at lunchtime on my cask mark visits. I'm the only person that's been in for an hour. Wow. Um, a lot of parts of the East End, lunchtime drinking. I was, I was reading an article when I was in the markets. We'd be out through the door at 11.30, six pints, back from lunch at one o'clock, do the afternoon trade, back down the pub at six. Um, I was reading an article this morning that they're, you know, drinking in Lloyd's of London. Um, they're going to stop the brokers and, and insurance traders doing it. So there's a big shift in alcohol consumption, full stop. And I think that with Public Health England and their allies will see um, a diminishing product in, in 10 years, 20 years as availability and consumability. So why do you think we had a boom of breweries opening between you know the mid-noughties and, and the last couple of years, particularly if the, the long-term prospects aren't good? Do, do, do you also think that there's the way I put it is like people that are either brewers or, or artisan bread makers, you know, that they, they have a passion yeah. to, to like do something, you know, with their hands and make beer or bread or whatever it is. And then, Oh, it's, let's buy one of those, you know, metal trailers and open up a, a yeah. hot, hot dog, yeah. American hot doggery or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then you like, do you, get those bursts in the market. Definitely. Mm. You do get those bursts in the market, but they are fashion and on trend. Um, so, Let's take an analogy to what we were just saying about the breweries opening. A lot of it was self-fulfilling hype. Beer, 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 beer. Breweries opening, 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 uh, etc. Let's look at the cupcake craze of 2014, 2015. 
everybody doing cupcakes. Yeah, there were two ladies who set up a shop in Chelmsford. They wanted to charge £3.50 for a cupcake. Well, I can only eat so many cupcakes a week. And this was the short-termism, trendism of it. But as soon as the supermarkets started doing packs of six cupcakes for £1.50, they were hammered. And, and this is what we have in the beer world. Yes, we have artisans. I will go to a cheese stall and I will pay premium product for quality cheese. But at the other end of the scale, I also nip into the supermarket and buy those awful rubbery cheese slices to slap on my burgers when I'm doing a barbecue. And so it's these different opportunities and outlets. And it's just natural commerce to me. So what are some of the positives you might see over the next five years? You know, if because if, um, I, I, I do agree with you and, and I think the pessimist within me is a bit like, I can see that coming. But like, what are some of the positives? What, what do you think will be better about the beer and the pub industry over the next five years? I, I think if it comes down to fewer establishments serving better quality beer with better trained staff, I think that is a distinct possibility. I think a lot of people um, in pubcos and, and outlets have taken it on board that it is something they need to look at seriously now and tackle now if they're to you know have X number of pubs in five years' time. Um, we've had another well-known pub in Chelmsford shut this morning, former pub of the year for cider and whatever in Chelmsford, constantly in our local guide, but they put up on Facebook not enough local support in the village anymore. It's only when we lose these things that people will go, hang on, it's gone. I don't think community pubs are the way forward, but it does come back down to me to this reduced number of outlets, maybe reduced number of beers, better quality, better trained staff. And then I think you'll see people enjoying going for a beer again. Yeah, let's hope so. Brilliant. Nigel, thank you for being on the podcast today. It's been great. Thanks very much for inviting me. So how can people find out more about what you do and, and maybe do some of the courses on beer tasting and, and quality that you offer? Well, I, I really now tutor for the Beer Academy in London, Beer and Cider Academy in London. Uh, those brewers looking to do qualifications, um, Brew Lab or the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. There are plenty of training courses offered out there by individual consultants. If you've got a pub of, of six or seven staff, you've got two hours to spare on a Monday, get a consultant in, you know, it might be 50, 60 pounds, um, depending on what you want doing per head or even just for a morning session. Um, and then go from there. It's, it's all about getting it done, getting people understanding what they're doing. So, yeah, Beer Academy, Beer and Cider Academy, rather, Institute of Brewing, Brew Lab. Um, my own company is learntobrew.co.uk. And just get out there. Amazing. Brilliant. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Today's Hot 4 podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Niche Solutions Brewery Essentials. If you're after great clarity in any brew, try Browsol P Special. Avoiding the fish-based products found in traditional finings, Browsol P is a silica solution with a particularly high charge intensity in the pH range of work beer. And it has the added bonus that it's vegetarian and vegan friendly, meaning everyone can enjoy and saving your beers. Check out a whole range of bespoke products at nichesolutionsgb.co.uk. That's nichesolutionsgb.co.uk. And you'll find competitive prices with a quick turnaround, all given with personal attention and technical support as and when you need it. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. 
So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hi, so